How are we doing? We all right? Yeah? Good. It's such an honor to be up here and uh, to, to preach for you this morning and, and to unpack Luke chapter 7. That's where we'll be. If you want to go ahead and turn there, um, that would be fun. And uh, to, get, to get started this morning, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, my own personal life and calling. When I was a junior, rising senior in, in high school, um, I, I was completely surrendered to God. I, I, I wanted him to use my life in any way he saw fit. And I didn't really know what that meant. Like, I, I didn't know what that meant for my career, right? It was a really big deal for me to, like, I, I love goals, right? And so if I, if I know the end game, then I can, like, set up systems in order to, like, achieve it. Like, that really gets me fired up. And so I, I had been praying and, and asking God to reveal his, reveal his will for my life and my calling and my career. Um, and it wasn't, I knew that it was early, right? Like, like when you're a junior or senior in high school, you don't have to know what you're going to do with your life. But, but I, I really asked for it a lot. And the summer of after my junior year, God actually answered that prayer. I was, uh, long story short, I was in a time of worship late in the evening with some friends, and I was bending down over a couch like this, just singing and worshiping, and my, my voice bounced off the couch and smacked me right in the face. And it was the clearest, the closest thing that I've ever heard to God speaking audibly. And I say that because it, I didn't actually hear it with my ears, but this huge impression on my spirit that's really hard to explain. It, it, just, it just seems cheap explaining it the way I'm explaining it now, right? And this huge impression on my, on my spirit, and it was three words. It was, use your voice. And that was all I needed. It, it took me from a, a point of, of kind of wrestling through a couple things and, and trying to figure out, like, what God has equipped me for, and it, and it, and it directed me towards worship ministry. And that's what I love to do. And, and so I'm, I'm very much confident in my calling because of that moment and, and that gift that he gave me of an answer to my question. And so this morning, as we are looking at Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist asks a question of Jesus. And so let's, let's read what the question is really quick. This is starting in verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. What are all these things, all these things is everything that has happened since Jesus has been baptized by John, right? So everything in the, in the passages uh, prior to this, um, Jesus going in, into the synagogues and teaching, Jesus uh, healing people, um, Jesus' admonitions to his own disciples in, in Luke chapter 6 that we just finished studying, like all of these things are kind of stewing right? And, and John's disciples are aware of it, and they tell him about it. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, 
Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So what, the first question that I had when Tim and I were talking about uh, me preaching on this, I've had quite a few weeks to work on it because we were actually, I think we were in Luke 4 when he told me that I was going to be preaching on this passage. So I read ahead, and it just so happens that in Luke 4, a question is asked of Jesus, and he chooses not to answer. And so I thought it was interesting that Jesus chose to answer John's question, and there's a very similar question that he doesn't answer in Luke 4, and that is when he is in his own hometown, Nazareth. And when he's there, I'm just going to briefly recap it. This is the Jason version, okay? Uh, so go and look at Luke 4 by yourself and study this on your own. But, but he comes to Nazareth, and um, he's in the synagogue, and they give him a scroll, and uh, he opens it up, and it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal the sick, to bind up the brokenhearted. Is this sounding familiar? Because we were there just a few weeks ago, right? And then he closes the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and he says, today the scripture is accomplished in your midst. And they were like, awesome! Like, really, they were really excited because the people of Nazareth really wanted to be the ones who, who were associated with the Messiah. But then Jesus throws a curveball, and he says, surely you'll say to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, right? And basically what he's saying by that is, by the way, I'm not going to do any miracles here. You heard what happened in Capernaum when I was there and I did some miracles. I'm not going to do any miracles here. And in fact, I'm going to tell you some stories about some Old Testament prophets who did miracles specifically to people who were not Israelites. And then they picked up stones to kill Jesus. And he miraculously walked through their midst without getting harmed. So why did Jesus choose not to do any miracles for Nazareth, but when he's asked pretty much the same question are you the Messiah, is pretty much what John was asking. His word for word, it says, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And he chooses to answer John. Tim was right because if you listen back to that sermon, he said that there was something in the heart of the people of Nazareth that was off, Okay? And so this is important for us because I want us to pursue God and ask good questions of him. But if we want an answer, it's going to have to come out of the right heart. The motivation for the question has to come out of the right heart. The people of Nazareth were incredibly selfish. They wanted to be known and famous for their own benefit. They were incredibly controlling. They wanted Jesus on their terms. Okay? And, and, and they were incredibly arrogant about it as well. And so that, that's the heart that was revealed by the people of Nazareth. Now John, what we know about John's life is that John's life is just a story of selflessness. He did not have physical possessions. He was a prophet out in the desert wearing camel skins, right? And, and eating honey and locusts. Like, 
Everything about him was selfless and humble. And and he was submissive to Jesus. Because when John's disciples came to him and said, hey, listen, this Jesus guy is really taking off. His ministry is going nuts. Maybe we should like think about not offending a bunch of people and like wear something other than camel skins and maybe take a bath, you know, like maybe we could have a ministry that looked like Jesus or partner with him. John says, it is my joy that he increase and I decrease. So he was humble. He was submissive to Jesus and Jesus's authority. And he was also living in faith. So much so that it got him thrown in prison. Because the second question you should be asking yourself is, why is John not asking Jesus this question himself? And that is because John had been thrown into prison by Herod, um, into a dungeon called the Dungeon of Machiris. And I've got a really pixelated image of what it could have looked like. That hilltop is still there. There are still ruins of this dungeon and even shackles there. And, uh, and this is where John was being held because Herod had decided to marry his sister-in-law and John spoke out against it. Herodias was her name. And because of that, Herod had him thrown in prison. And so John is in prison. He still has access to his disciples. And so that's why they come and, uh, and, and ask the question for him as well. And so John's message is, is calling sin what it is. Sin is sin. And it was strategic in the overarching story of history because um, we, we needed to know, the, the people of Israel needed to know that, that the, the pharisaical way of looking for a salvation that was small enough to be earned was not enough. And that the people needed to recognize the depths of their own sin. And so John's role wasn't just to to be a voice in the wilderness calling out that the Messiah was coming, but also to prepare the hearts of the people in brokenness and call out sin so that they would be ready for the gift of salvation that Jesus was going to offer to them. And so there's no good news without the bad news first, right? And so the next question that we're going to ask is why would John doubt Jesus as the Messiah. Because he had seen Jesus, right? Like he had baptized Jesus and he saw the Holy Spirit descend on him. What causes him, potentially, what causes him to ask this question? Well, let's look at John's own prophecy about Jesus in Luke chapter 3, Luke 3, 16 and 17. John says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And there are three things that I see in John's prophecy. One is that there is an indication that The Messiah will come, and he who is coming is going to come in power. He's going to come with this spiritual authority, all right? Authority came with power. And so Jesus is going to have the Holy Spirit, right? And and the second thing is that there's going to be a baptism of fire and the Holy Spirit. Now, all of us 
We get to cheat and look forward to Acts chapter 2, right? We know what was happening in that room and that, that, that the Holy Spirit comes in power and in fire over, with tongues of fire over the disciples and they begin to speak in tongues, right? But John didn't know that. He didn't know the timing. He just saw that in the future, this is going to happen. And so at this point, he's sitting in prison and he says, this guy has incredible amount of spiritual authority, like I prophesied he would. But I don't see the Holy Spirit going out to anyone else. And then the third thing that he prophesies here is that there's going to be fiery judgment. Now, Jesus was doing his part in making the Pharisees mad, but there is not much fiery judgment happening. In addition to this, the strategy for ministry is is really different between Jesus and John. Uh, Jesus Jesus was uh, doing ministry to Roman citizens, the, the very Romans who had thrown John in jail. In fact, earlier in chapter 7, he heals a centurion's son. And John's ministry was primarily to the nation of Israel. And Jesus would go into the synagogue and preach there. In uh, Luke 6.6, 6, it said that it was as it was his habit. Jesus entered the synagogue. Okay? And so Jesus is going in, and John was in the desert. Jesus traveled to rural places. He traveled to cities, and John was in the desert. In the very next verses after this little section of Scripture, Jesus sits down and eats with a Pharisee. And John was in the desert (laughs) eating bugs. Jesus sitting down with a Pharisee is significant to John. Because, remember, John called them a brood of vipers. Jesus is entering the viper's den to sit down and share a meal Sharing a meal was, was an incredible amount of association, right, with someone back in this day culturally. And John would have been aware that Jesus was doing this. And, and Jesus taught with parables and with power. And John mostly talked through exhortation and, and this shock factor. And so, in the one hand, you have Jesus who looks great as as the Messiah because he's totally filled with this Holy Spirit power and his ministry is going beyond what John's has done and and he's gaining this popularity among common people and he's not associating with the the high-class Pharisees and, and if I were John, I would be thinking, maybe he's, he's rallying these troops. Maybe there's a chance that he's going to come and rescue me out of this dungeon, right? Like, maybe that's part of his strategy, is to use these common people. But on the other hand, there's no fiery judgment. Let's look quickly at Jesus' answer to John. We're going to start in verse 21. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I love that, because it's 
It's almost as if, in my mind, this is how it plays out. I could be totally wrong, but this is how it plays out. Jesus is standing there. John's disciples come, and the crowd parts for them because they know that they are John's disciples. And they walk up to Jesus, and everybody leans in to listen to what they're going to ask Jesus because they know that John has been imprisoned. And they know John and Jesus' association with each other. And, and they ask Jesus a question. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we wait for another? John wants to know. And Jesus stands up, turns around, and just starts healing people. He doesn't talk first. I love that about this. And, and this this passage would be so easy to just skip over the fact that Jesus is doing really miraculous things. Like blind receiving sight, lame, the lame man leaping for joy. And, and imagine like somebody who has a leprous disease covering their body, totally defiled and ugly and, and impure. And for the first time in human history, you see someone who is pure touch someone who is dirty, and they are so pure that the dirt leaves. This is an amazing amount of of spiritual power slamming into the physical world. And that's part of Jesus' case to John to answer his question. Is that there's this a massive amount of empirical evidence and undeniable evidence of his spiritual authority over the physical world. The second thing that Jesus does to answer him is he gives him scriptural evidence, specific messianic prophecies fulfilled then in front of witnesses. And so when Jesus says the words to him, go and tell John, and then he lists these healings that he does, that he's making reference to Specific passages in Isaiah, which John would have had memorized. Let's look at just a few of them here. This is Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwelled in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Isaiah 29, 18. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The eyes of the blind shall see and be opened, the ears of the deaf, uh, deaf unstopped, and then the lame shall leap... Uh, lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. These are, these are all prophecies that Jesus is making reference to because he could have. He could have just done the miracles and then told John's disciples to go tell him what happened. But he calls out specific miracles that he did in order to give John the clue that these are messianic prophecies being fulfilled. Not only that, if you take the time to look through a lot of these passages in Isaiah, they are also coupled with end-time judgment. There's one of these in particular, and I'm not going to tell you which because you'll have to go find it yourself, that it's at the end of a chapter. The next chapter begins, and the title above it is called The Punishment of the Leviathan. And so Jesus is pointing to himself as the Messiah and giving John clues 
That, that the story that he is, he is telling right here isn't over. John's just in the middle of it. And so we have empirical evidence of great, uh, great spiritual authority. We have scriptural evidence. And the last thing that Jesus gives is an admonition. He gives John an admonition, and it is, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Your translation might say, blessed is the one who does not fall away because of me, or blessed is the one who does not stumble because of me. And they're all correct. That word in Greek means all of those things packaged together. Now, if you were here and you were able to be uh, paying attention for Tim's message on the Beatitudes that Jesus gives to his own disciples in Luke chapter 6, I hope that you'll recognize this form. Blessed is the one who. Jesus is using this same style of preaching that is common to him, both in Matthew and in Luke, the same type of message that he would preach often, and he pulls one specific one out to give to John. I think it's really interesting what all is included in this and what is not included in Jesus' admonition. It's not particularly immediately encouraging because John is going to die in this prison. This is as much a challenge to John. Jesus is allowing him to focus on the eternal blessing and to chase after that more than what he sees happening in the physical world. And, 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 and Jesus' overarching narrative and, and what he needs to do in, in order to, to have the death, burial, and resurrection and the salvation of the world, all of that overwhelms John's comfort, John's safety, or even his political standing with Herod. Jesus' plan overwhelms what John would want. In reading this passage, I cannot help but think about uh, Dr. Ken Elliott. Many of you are aware that um, missionaries from here at Fellowship, John and Liz Joyce, worked alongside, alongside Dr. Ken Elliott in Burkina Faso in Africa, and five years ago, this last January, he was kidnapped and taken captive by terrorists and is still. In January, we had a special time of prayer during our Wednesday night prayer meeting uh, for Dr. Elliot. And I'll never forget... Um, John and Liz were leading this prayer time, this man who they knew personally. And we spent a little bit of time praying for his release, praying that either he would be released back into the arms of his wife and children, or that he would be released in death to be with Jesus. And then, John and Liz prayed fervently 
that he would not fall away. See, what I was unaware of is that the terrorist strategy is to put him through so much physical, emotional, and spiritual abuse that he would cave to Islam. And they have been successful in this many times. And so if you don't mind, I would like to take a moment and pray for Dr. Ken for those two things, his release and for strength and endurance that he would not fall away. Let's pray. Father, we plead to you on behalf of our brother, Dr. Ken Elliott. Lord, we know, we know that he is not being treated well. And Father, if if he is still alive, Lord, we pray that you would release him, that he would be able to return to his family, to his wife and his children who love him and miss him dearly. Or, Father, we pray that you would release him into the secure arms of Christ and that he would be wrapped in love and peace everlasting. Father, if he is still living, Lord, we do pray now for strength We pray for steadfastness. We pray for more increasing faith. We pray for scripture that he has memorized to be brought to light in his heart and in his tongue. And Father, that you would make him a strong witness in the darkest place for your light. Jesus, we do pray that he would endure, that he would not fall away. Father, I pray that you will strengthen our brother to know that he is not alone, that we have not forgotten about him, and neither has you. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jesus' answer to John. I imagine that it wasn't what John wanted in a number of ways. And and the best I can do is put myself into John's shoes. John wanted a yes or no question. That's how it's phrased. Are you the one who is to come or should we wait for another? It reminds me of like, you know, in middle school, do you like me? You want to yes or no? Like circle one, you know? Like that's kind of like the ancient world version of that, you know? (laughs) But Jesus did not respond with a yes or no. In a lot of ways, it probably wasn't what John hoped for. He was hoping for an an immediate rescue, which was well within Jesus' power, right? Like he was strong enough to do this. And if I was John, I kind of wanted, I would have wanted a validation of my ministry, right? Like, I put everything on the line for you, and I'm, I'm, now I'm, I'm in a dungeon, literal dungeon with shackles on me, and potentially going to die. We know that he does die. Like, have a, how about a little attaboy or something? Well, after Jesus sends the disciples away, look at what he says. 
This is starting in verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, when they had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing live in luxury and king's course. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. He validates John's ministry to the people. And I tell you, more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before you, who will prepare a way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves not having been baptized by him. Remember, the Pharisees wanted a salvation small enough to be earned. But the tax collectors were willing to know that they were unjust and in need of God's mercy. So how, how is this true? How is what Jesus says about John true? Among Those born of women is none greater than John, yet one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. How is that possible? I've been sitting here for quite a while talking about how great John was, right? What John expected was judgment, right? We talked about that a good bit. I want to talk a little bit about perspective. Go ahead and put that image up there. Has anybody done this before? Like with your camera? This is the question and answer portion. (laughs) Circle yes or no. Have you done this before? It's not that hard with your cell phone. Try it sometime. All you do is you set up a camera and you have somebody stand pretty close to it and go like this. And then you have other people go like 20 yards behind him and go like this. And then you just adjust the height of the camera. This image isn't photoshopped at all. This is called forced perspective. If you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, it's how they made the hobbits look small. It looks like they're really short, but actually they're just way far away. Forced perspective. And this is the best image that I could find to explain how uh, a theory on how prophecy works, the foretelling of the future in Scripture. And a lot of times, it's almost as if there's a a mountaintop explanation where there's, there's a mountaintop and the prophet is standing on the top of the mountaintop. And then there's a valley and another mountain. And that's a future event. And the prophet can see straight across to the future event. And then there's another valley and another mountaintop and they can see both things, but they don't know how big the valley is. And this can happen time and time again. And so this is why oftentimes in the Old Testament, you'll have these messianic prophecies about Jesus and then judgment. The end of the age. 
fiery judgment. So this is what John is seeing here. And, and it's almost like this image is reversed. Like everything happening up until the cross isn't all that great of a big mountain. And then you have the cross, which is huge. And then you have judgment, which is massive. And so John's perspective, though, though true and though right, is also limited. But Jesus doesn't allow John's limited perspective. It, it, uh, John's limited perspective led him to an expectation of who Jesus was. Right? His limited perspective led him to an expectation of who Jesus was. But his expectation of Jesus didn't change who Jesus was. And it's the same with us. We have access to the living word of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives to reveal his word to us. But there is a limit to how much we can handle. And so don't allow your limited expectation to limit your vision of who Jesus is. You with me? Okay. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. How is this true? Because John didn't have the whole gospel. He had the beginning of it. He had the bad news and a promise that the good news would come. But we who know that Jesus came and he died and was buried for three days, and on the third day he rose again, we are blessed beyond John the Baptist because of that truth. And because we have access to Jesus like that. But our vision is still incomplete. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. At some point all things will be revealed to us. And so our goal, our goal is to continue to press in and to ask good questions of God in a heart that is honoring to Him. But His goal is not necessarily to let you know the plan. Sometimes He will intentionally not let you know the plan and give you an admonition that will build your faith. Because when our hearts that's riddled with unbelief, even if you're a believer here this morning, this, this idea that, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, that, that unbelief gets in conflict with faith, right? And so God won't always give you the perspective that you need in order to see the big picture. And sometimes it's for your own good so that he can do a mining work in your heart to, to dig down to the taproot of the sin that's in you and cultivate it and, and grow something that is of the Spirit in you. And so Jesus answered John when he asked a question, a difficult question of him in the right heart, Jesus, 
answered in a way that would build his faith and challenge him to endure. And when Christ reveals himself to us, I have to believe that when his disciples came and told him what happened and what Jesus said, I have to believe that John saw more who Jesus was. Jesus was revealing himself to John. And when we, when we catch a glimpse or a sliver of who Jesus is, it, it does something to us. And I don't just mean in our hearts or in our heads, like it physically can, can do something to us. I'm going to have the band come on up, but uh, we're going to keep going here for just a, a second. Have you, ever, have you ever seen those videos of people who are colorblind and they put on glasses that correct their vision? Um, I'm, I'm going to briefly show you a, a video of a guy seeing color for the first time. Go ahead, Alan. We're going to watch it again here in just a second, but I, I, wanted, I wanted you to just see it first because it was only after three or four times of watching this that I actually got it. Because, because our goal is to see more of who Jesus is. And, and there's something about the miraculous nature of who Jesus is that reveals who he is to us. I love that Jesus responded first by performing miracles, and I feel like we've heard about them so much that they become bland. This isn't even as good of a miracle as anything that Jesus did in this passage that we talked about. And I'm seeing multiple people looking for tissues now. I mean, when we see Jesus as he truly is, it's like seeing color for the first time. And when we see Jesus, if you, if you feel like your passion for God is fading, you need to ask him if you can see who Jesus is. If, if you feel like your worship experience is lame, ask him just to see who Jesus is. This would be like seeing color for the first time. If you're, if you're disappointed in God and your expectations of what he was supposed to do don't line up with your expectations, ask to see Jesus. And if you've never seen him before, come and talk to me and I'll show him to you. We need to have a fresh awakening and revelation of who Jesus is. And I want you to watch this again because I don't know anything about this guy's story other than he's colorblind and he puts on color-correcting glasses. But he responds in worship. He responds in worship just at seeing a sliver of God's creation. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. His creation is proclaiming the gospel. 
And when he comes in contact with more of the gospel, he responds in worship. Watch the order of events. He will put on the glasses. He'll take them up and cover his eyes. He humbles himself. More than that, he bows. Oh, he bows before the creator. And then he leans back and responds in gratitude. Thank you. And this is my favorite part. He is so absolutely and completely overwhelmed and he can't get enough. He keeps putting them on and taking them off. Overwhelmed. I can't get enough. I'm overwhelmed. I can't get enough. When we see Jesus, that's the place where our hearts go. So watch this video again and, and watch what happens. Go ahead, Alan. I can put these on. commands all the hosts of heaven who else can make every king bow down who else can whisper in darkness trembles only a holy God what other beauty demands such praise what other splendor outshines the sun? What other majesty rules with justice? Only a holy God. Oh, come and behold Him, the one and the the glory consumes like fire what other power can raise the dead what other name remains undefeated only a holy God will come and
else could rescue me from my failing? And who else would offer his only son? Who else invites me to call him Father? Only a holy God. Only a holy God. Come and be all the one and the only. Cry out, sing holy forever, a holy God. Come and worship the desire we would see you we could behold you Lord and be held by you oh Jesus thank you for meeting us here this morning we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that we just as much as Dr. Ken are not alone Father, I pray that you would continue what you have started here. And that as we go out of these doors, Lord, you would help us recognize just how, how ready and ripe the harvest is. Give us discernment, Father, for good conversation this week. Give us discernment, Lord, for those who are hurting. Holy Spirit, we trust you to guide our words so that we can offer hope to this hurting, hurting world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.